You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Hey, Hound Doggers, if there is one thing that you could identify Houndsman XP with, it has got to be the message of building unity and bridging the gap. That's why we are proud to sponsor with a company like Dogs Are Treed. Dogs Are Treed is a company that is based in Incom, Idaho. It's run by Houndsman. The products were designed by Houndsman. We're talking decades of experience in the field with some legendary hounds doing some legendary work out there. And Kevin Hall has put his decades of experience into building products that benefit you, the houndsman. So when you're shopping for your gear, check out Dogs Are Treat at dogsartreat.com. And if you go to their website at checkout and enter the code HXP20% off, you will get 20% off of your entire order on all of their branded products. Leashes, tie-outs, medical kits, paws are protected. Build your pack from the ground up and support a fellow houndsman that supports your lifestyle. Enter the code HXP20% off at checkout. Go to their website today at dogsartreed.com. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Shoot up here! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many day how many days a week do you spend out there? As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get, I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. There is more to the state of Nevada than Las Vegas. And this week on the podcast, we have got Becky Dwyer with the Nevada Sporting Dog Alliance. And folks, I'm going to tell you that Nevada needs our help as houndsmen right now. Uh, some groups have filed a petition there to end the use of hounds for bear hunting in the state of Nevada. 
it seems to be a fight that goes on every year somewhere. And uh, I just want to encourage you that we can make a difference. We can win these battles. We just had a major victory as a hunting community in the state of California. And the reason that happened is because hunters came together from all over and voiced their concerns and objections to ending a bear hunt in California. And if we can win in bear, uh, California, we can win anywhere. So we are on a roll and we are rolling this one out for you so that you understand what's going on in the state of Nevada with hound hunting for bears out there. You need to pay attention. And if you can get involved and support Nevada, man, I am encouraging you to do just that. Uh, there is no time like the present. We can't afford to lose any more ground. Uh, these groups that are filing these petitions are well-funded, pretty well-organized, but they are well-backed. So we can win this thing if we get on board and work with the, the Nevada Sporting Dog Alliance. And uh, you're going to hear about how you can get involved in this podcast. I want to tell you about a company that I found, and I have not been disappointed in this company. Dakota 283 offers you unparalleled protection for your hounds. We're talking about military-grade kennel crates. Uh, I got, got one of these two-door kennel crates here at the house. It is super heavy-duty. It's got slap latches on it that are stainless steel easily fits in the back of an SUV or if you're traveling with a camper shell it's a great way to keep your dog protected while you while you are traveling you just got to check out their dash series this is a watering system and i've used a lot of these portable waterers over the years but this system is all integrated into one unit and the way it's designed out of high impact plastic the water stays in the tank when you're not using it because you can put a plug in it. Check them out. Uh, the 3.5 is also compact enough that I can store it behind the seat of my pickup truck while I'm out hunting when it's super cold. I've had exterior tanks before, and as soon as I go to cold climates, then I've got to figure out how I'm going to get water to my hounds, and the dash takes care of that. So check out Dakota 283 at dakota283.com and at checkout enter the code hxp10 and get 10 percent off of your order unparalleled pet protection find your products at dakota283.com last but not least we got to give a shout out to our friends over at freedom hunters freedom hunters is taking america's warriors from field to field battlefield to a field near you if you volunteer to take a veteran on a hunting adventure. A couple weeks ago, we featured Freedom Hunters again with our friend Anthony Pace on the podcast, and we talked about how easy it is for you to get involved in Freedom Hunters and the programs that they offer. So check out freedomhunters.org and see how you can get involved today for a great cause and a very worthy cause. Thank you for spending your time with Houndsman XP on this Monday and it's time to dump the box. So you guys, do you guys haul mules in the backs of trucks or are you pulling trailers? Uh, it depends on how many we're pulling, but we do quite a bit of both. We've got a uh, aluminum 
chassis mount horse box that'll hold a couple of big horses and a mule or some more medium-sized mules um, and then you can put about 15 mm-hmm. dogs in there with it so we've we've got two of those another one waiting to be mounted and then several stock trailers as well so it kind of just depends on the numbers and where we're going um you know the the chassis mounts are really convenient except for when they're not like if you want to go at a decent rate down the highway they're not exactly the most aerodynamic vehicles ever made <laughs> but they're nice for getting in right. canyons that are tight or rocky where you can't really turn a trailer mm-hmm. around yeah we used to run um it's amazing you can get away from a lot of four-wheel drive vehicles back here when you've got two mules loaded in the back of a three-quarter ton truck with a with a chassis mount and then the, the dog box was up front but we used to drive drive that and and just load our mules right in the back of the truck it was so handy oh it absolutely is i mean there's times where it's two o'clock in the morning and your mule that's loaded 800 times into it decides all of a sudden you know i just kind of rather not and then there's times you're cussing doesn't that just (laughs) for the most part they're pretty good so i had a horse one time she was a super i mean she she was as close to uh, riding a good mule is anything I'd ever ridden. I I could take her anywhere. She could do anything. I could work cows on her. I could hunt off of her. Um, and she was just a, a nice size horse. She was about uh, 14 hands, 14 two, somewhere around in there. So she was good size. She was built for, I mean, she could, she could handle a good load. Um, <clears throat> so she was, she was real athletic but exactly what you said. All of a sudden, I get her to a trailer. I never had problems loading that horse ever. And you get her to the trailer, and all of a sudden, she that's the time she decides she's not going to cooperate. Well, and it seems and like it the late. funny thing is when they do that, it's when you're coming back from hunting, so you're not home, and you're like, Yeah. Well, all right. Exactly. That's where home. I was at. Yeah. Yeah, you're not getting this whole thing here because we're going home to where I'm going to feed you when we get there. Exactly. You, know? you can go back to, to hanging out and go have a good roll and not be working your butt off for a little bit. And that seems to be when they have the hang-up. I, uh, I had a white mule one time. Uh, she was a super nice mule. I loved. She was about the only thing I had on the place at the time that I could trust to put my 100% no fears of, of putting my daughter on there and, and riding double or letting her ride her. Mm-hmm. And um, I was hauling her, pulling her pulling her up to another place. And um, I look in the rearview mirror, and I had a, a two-horse trailer and had the windows in the front. And I felt something lunging back there, and I look in the rearview mirror, and all I can see is a white face plastered up against one of those windows. That mule had climbed up in, it had tack storage in the front underneath the, the hay rail mm-hmm. up in the front. And she had gotten her front feet up in there and she was trying to to get out through that window. It was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. That'll make and I'm you like, put what the is she off. doing? Oh, yeah. And I'm, so, I, so I do, I pull over and uh, reach in there. And I, so I ended up having to tie her, tie her short so she couldn't get her front feet up there. But... I'd hold that mule 
miles and miles and miles. And I'm right in downtown Brookville, hauling hauling through town, and she's trying to climb up in the hay in the hay rack up in front. Oh well, you know, I mean, it never you never have stuff that makes you look silly happen when no one's around to see absolutely everything. <laughs> you never get bucked off when you're by yourself. Exactly. It's no, t- no doubt. There's always. And now with with phones, we make sure that we get it recorded so that we can remind people on social media that they got bucked off. Oh, there is no forgetting. But it's kind of funny you say that about your white mule because I would about trade you our white mule. Well, Cleve's white mule. She uh, She's about the opposite of everything you listed good about your white mule, except for the fact that she is just double tough. That's about the only good quality she has. And I don't think I don't think you could starve her to death in a concrete pen. I mean – she just looks at air and she gets fat, so I guess that's a that's a good quality too. I don't know if it makes up for the rest of them, but we still got her. That, so. That's a beautiful that's a beautiful thing about mules is they can live on what a horse will drop out of its mouth most of the time. Absolutely. Yeah, they're just they are tough and and easy to maintain. Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, she's the type that I do a lot of uh, body work on horses, whether they're rodeo horses. Um, that's pretty big by us barrel horses and roping and all that and she's the type i'll go and give her a nice full full body massage and red light the whole the whole nine yards after she's been worked hard and she'll stand there and enjoy the whole thing and i'll walk by her and she'll reach out and try and grab me or kick me or not hard just enough to say i could (laughs) and it's like all right yeah yeah uh we the only the only horse i've ever had that was close to being as tough as a mule. Um, and this horse probably was as tough as a mule. It was, uh, it was a little Mustang Arabian cross and, um, wasn't a big horse, but he was tough. Good feet. I mean, that, that horse had the best, toughest feet, um, of anything. We rode him, we rode him barefoot a lot. Um, we couldn't do it out in your country, but in our country, we could we could ride him barefoot. But you could walk him across, uh, you know, gravel or riprap or whatever in some of the farm lanes and stuff. And and horses with shoes on them would would kind of jump or they they get a stone up in their on their frog or something. They wince, you know how they do. That horse would just walk right across it barefoot. He didn't care. Exactly, and you know it's funny. That's exactly what this mule is is an Arab. Um, and her mom was the same same exact way, same temperament, same personality. We didn't have her. I just ended up finding the guy who had the jack she was bred to. Um, he's kind of an acquaintance of ours, another houndsman. And you're exactly right. They say with the Mustangs, if you find a good one, they are as close to a mule as you can get in horse form and uh, just tough-footed. And, and that's the thing about hunting with mules, like Cleve says. He says, you know, hard day lion hunting. I feel bad for a horse. I never feel bad for a mule. They're just double yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. Well, the familiar voice you're hearing on this podcast is that of Becky Dwyer. Becky, welcome back to the podcast. You realize your episode that you and Cleve recorded with us is still in our top 10? I shoot for episodes. What can I say? So I appreciate <laughs> it. I, uh, we had a lot of fun, and we were saying, man, we'd really like to do another one, and I'm glad I'm getting the chance to do it. Yeah. Well, I'm super happy to have you on here and and have you back on. So we've been talking about mules and horses and the frustrations of owning stock, and that's probably why I don't own any right now with traveling and and being on the road and stuff like I am. Then uh, 
my wife, my wife is, has been into horses her whole life and stuff and she wouldn't mind having them, but just being able to have them, keep them in shape and work them. You know, I'm not much on pasture ornaments and back East here. Um, a lot of people have horses and things like that, but 99% of them are just pasture ornaments standing out there and don't get ridden like they should. So that's why I haven't got any right now. Yeah, it's, uh, it's tough to justify, especially with, with the drought that a lot of the hay raising states are having, um, you know, feed prices are going up, fuel prices are going to be going up and it's hard to justify having them if you're not using them enough to offset that. Well, that might be the answer to the fuel prices. It could just be. Get my, just Yeah. Everybody, instead of the drive truck, they could just take their Garmin and bungee cord it to their mule's ears and we'd all be good to go. That's right. You got it. So, hey, tell us how, how the hunting season's been going for you out in Nevada. Oh, it's been going good. You know, we've uh, we've been catching a few here and there and and doing pretty well. We've been finding some really good toms, and the conditions have been uh, not the best, but definitely able to, to get stuff done. I'm, I'm really hoping we get a lot of snow. Cleve and I were joking around the other day, you know, the, the whole West collectively is extremely dry um this year and it seems like the last two years really you know and i was joking with cleve saying i'd rather get a whole bunch of snow come march and april than than right now just just strictly for our snowpack and our water reserves and i got to thinking about it and i said gosh you know what's probably going to happen we're going to be done with hunters with not a whole lot of snow and we're going to go to start building fence we're going to get four feet of snow and that's going to set us back on that too you know, I don't know about you, but it seems like watching the weather patterns for the last, I don't know when I kind of started noticing this, but it seems like something in our solar system, I don't know, I don't, I'm not a scientist, just trying to figure this out, but it seems like our winters are getting later into the year. Um, our summers run longer into the fall, our falls run longer into winter, and our winters run longer into spring. And then our spring runs later into summer. We've been noticing that here a lot. And I seems like that's been going on for about the last 10 years. But yeah. just, an, just an off-the-wall observation I've made. And it may not even be, I don't know, maybe off-the-wall. <laughs> I, I think you're right, honestly. You know, it kind of seems like everything nowadays is shaken up. And, it you know, we can't, like if I go to plant a garden, and then this is average for us, um, I can't plant until after june 15th unless i have a greenhouse set up because it's inevitable the first week of june first week 10 days of june we're going to get a pretty good snowstorm it doesn't last long you know it's gone in two or three days but it's going to get hit hard enough that that it's going to do some damage uh to sensitive young plants you know uh seems like we kind of our max is going about 90 days without some form of snowfall now whether that's an inch or 18 inches or you know it just just depends on the year well, tell our listeners that, that may not have caught your first episode that you were on with us, and I can't remember the number. It was um, last year. But uh, tell tell our listeners where you're from, Becky, and your elevation, where you guys are hunting, and, and um, just describe the country that you guys are hunting in, you and Cleve. So we live in northeastern Nevada, about 50 miles south of the Idaho border and about 50 miles uh, west of the Utah border. And we hunt the whole eastern side of the state and into the central central part of the state um we're along the same plains as like evanston wyoming say 
as far as where we live. But like I said, we hunt pretty much clear down to just north of Vegas. And our terrain really uh, ranges from like a high country like you'd see in northwest Colorado to down to the Mojave Desert type stuff. I mean, I can be hunting in four feet of snow on an average winter. (laughs) Or I can be hunting in a t-shirt watching little blue belly lizards scramble around rocks trying to get away from puppies that aren't paying attention. (laughs) So it's everything from, (laughs) you know, rolling Utah junipers and pinion trees to quaking aspens and firs and water crossings stirrup deep on my my mule. You know, we we really kind of run an interesting gamut of conditions. A lot of limestone, a lot of shale. And you you and Cleve, your husband Cleve, which is who is not with us, and this is kind of a, a, a special treat for for me because we're in the same time zone right now because you came back east but uh so i don't have to be up later and you don't and and you don't have to be up early to record a podcast with us it is true it is kind of a treat yeah he uh got clients in right now that he's hunting for and i came back to visit my folks and some family for a little bit so i uh i'm missing the dogs for sure and everything and but I will say it's kind of nice having a break from picking up dog turds and feeding and breaking ice in water buckets. <laughs> yeah, and tending to stock and stuff. There is yeah. there is that, so for sure. And I, hey, I'm going to so, throw in that I miss Cleve a little bit, too, now that I said I miss the dogs and yeah. all that. But <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, Cleve gets a – I don't know. I think sometimes I, I feel – I feel for Cleve. Oh, I feel for Cleve all you know, the time. There's the, no punches pulled there. The, the the videos when he's walking around the front of the truck and you start blowing the horn and you're sitting in the truck laughing at him. I mean, he could be looking for a line track. He could be opening a gate. How many times have you done that, Tim? Every time? Oh, well, I can't do it every time because then he starts to expect it. So I, I've got to break it up. I did it like every time for a long time, but now I've kind of break it up to where I lull him into like this false sense of security. And I wait till, I mean, he's always in a good mood. The man is never mad. Uh, but I wait till he's like really just happy go lucky, you know, bluebirds are singing, the sun is shining, not paying attention. And then, and then I just, I sneak in and get in there and get him and, there, uh, I think that video, I know the video you're referencing, and I looked at it, and I think that video is approaching 3,000 views. We've got friends and, and my sister-in-law, <laughs> and she's like, literally, if I am having a bad day, the first thing I do is go to your Facebook and find that video. She goes, I have to have watched it probably 70 times the first time you posted it, and every other time you post it, it's just on repeat. Oh, man. it's Yeah, it's funny, and... It's it's one of those deals where it's like that's exactly the kind of stuff that that my wife would do to me. There is no doubt about it. She would she'd get me every time. Sounds like me and your but, wife uh, would get for, along. Yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. But uh, to give our audience an idea, go back to uh, episode sixteen. The the podcast title was "Marriage Mules and Mountain Lions." Cleve and Becky Dwyer of Bull Creek Outfitters, and I don't mind pumping. Uh, Bull Creek Outfitters for you guys, Becky. You guys are, um, and that's actually not the real name. What's the actual name of your outfit? It actually is Bull is Creek Bull? Outfitters, but we have it on Facebook okay. as Bull Creek Lion Hunts because there are a couple other Bull Creeks in other states. 
so we, we kind of try and since we basically just do lion hunts, we tried to kind of offset to where people wouldn't get yeah. confused going between pages, but it is actually Bull Creek okay. Outfitters. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, we got that right then. <laughs> you did. You're on a roll this morning. Oh my. Yeah. It's got to be the same time. It's zone unusual. Thing. That's that's what it is. It's because we're on the same time zone. But uh, Becky, I really want to talk talk to you about. We've shifted a little bit in our in what we're trying to do with the Houndsman XP podcast. Yeah, I, I feel like we are in a time in our lives where we've got to unite houndsmen and be it the houndsmen need a voice out there that is a credible voice. It's an effective voice and one that can uh, light the path forward. If we're going to retain our uh, freedoms to freak, you know, to hunt with hounds and there isn't any other form of hunting that is more, more vulnerable to, uh, the anti-hunting crowd, but also the threat of being eliminated than than hunting with hounds. And the reason I wanted to have you on here is because of your work and experience with the Nevada Sporting Dog Alliance. And some of the, th- I wanted to talk to you today about some of the things that are going out there, on out there in Nevada, what what you guys are facing right now, and uh, briefly talk on a few on a few issues that are current that needs some attention from not only Nevada houndsmen, but houndsmen across the United States. So just give us a lowdown on the Nevada Sporting Dog Alliance. How do you guys form and, and what's the status of the organization? So we formed, we got our 501c3, so our nonprofit organization um, title in 2017. And we are a, a very small group in comparison to say like, you know, the sportsman's Alliance or, or anything like that. Um, it's me and three other guys who pretty much take care of the administrative stuff, the social media stuff, the website stuff, pretty much everything. Um, we're all local here to Nevada. We we're kind of spread out across the state and that that's something that is not unique to Nevada per se but maybe a little more magnified in Nevada because it is such a large state. Um, you know, I, I was trying to give some perspective to my sister who hasn't been out there yet. I grew up in the state mm-hmm. of Connecticut and the county that I live in is, I believe four times larger, just the county alone is four times larger than the entire state of Connecticut. So it, it can be really hard to get people together you know, I'm closer to Jackson Hole than I am to Reno or Las Vegas. So it can be hard in a state where everybody is so rural and so spread out to get that unity amongst each other, even in the same sport. Um, so right. So we're kind of spread out across the state, and we do a lot of stuff through social media. You know, our slogan is to promote the use of sporting dogs for hunting and conservation through public education. We're not a hound-only group. We support any type of working dog, really. Our focus is on hunting dogs, as often the spotlight is on hunting dogs, and those are our, our personal our personal um, passions and dogs. But, you know, we're for sled dog guys, stock dog guys, using cattle dogs, sheep dogs, any, any type of mm-hmm. working dog, really, because um, eventually – they'll all come under fire 
it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when and in what order. Um, you know, and like you were talking, houndsmen, it's kind of interesting to think that houndsmen are really such a minority in the hunting community. But if you look at the legislation that's aimed at the hunting community, if you look at the bad press that comes to or from the hunting community, a lot of it centers around that very, very small minority. Yes, that is so true. You know, and, and just to give an exclamation point on that, um, when we look at the total number of hunters in the United States, it's around 11 million now. That's not very many people when you consider a country with 330 million people in it. 11 million people right now are um, licensed hunters. <clears throat> and then you take that pie and you slice it down even thinner, and there you have your houndsmen. So when you look at the total picture of the population of the United States, you know, we're a fraction of a percent, 1% of the, the United States population. But if you look at the efforts of the Humane Society, PETA, you know, some of these activist groups, um, and those are just the big ones that everybody would would recognize. You've got splinter groups and, and smaller groups that are also focusing their efforts on eliminating hunting with hounds. And it's, um, we get, like you said, we get a lot of press. We get a lot of effort put out there to stop our style of hunting. Absolutely. And you know, the, you look at how similar in lifestyle, in ideals, generally speaking, um, a lot of the smaller subset that we houndsmen are, that we, we share a lot of the same ideals. Now you look at a giant group like the Humane Society, any of, any of those anti-groups, and they have a ton of members, and you think, what makes them different? They're extremely organized. They all have a common goal. Mm -hmm. And the thing that has kind of come to my attention is while they have common goals as far as, you know, animal rights go, and that's something else that needs to be touched on, I think, in the general public, is animal welfare is very different than animal rights. I am all for animal welfare. Animal rights is a completely right. different story. It's a completely different animal, no pun intended. Differentiate um, that. Differentiate that. You know, for me, in my personal opinion, animal welfare is a standard that animals should be taken care of. Yes, they need shelter. Yes, they need food. Yes, they need water. They need training. It's, it's the basics, whereas animal rights is these animals need to have individual rights. You know, they should be represented by have legal representation, you know, they mm -hmm. should have the ability to choose the way they live their life. It, it, it's really anthropomorphizing and, and humanizing animals to make people feel better. Animals just want to be animals. It's not fair to expect a dog to be a human, whether in the way that you're, you're thinking when you're training them in the way you're treating them. Um, you know, I, I may step on, a few toes here saying nope. a dog doesn't don't worry i step on toes all the way oh, all the time perfect um <laughs> you know a dog doesn't want to wear a sweater your dog may not be happy on the couch while you're working eight hours a day your dog wants to be out doing dog things you know they want to be out <laughs> sniffing out nasty stuff and, and rolling in horse turds and and just being a dog you know they, they don't have that that thought process that we do that says, oh, well, poor me, I should be doing this or should be doing that. So it's up to us to sit there and say, okay, what, what are your innate desires and how can I 
do the best I can to, to give you those? How can I allow you to live your best natural life, I guess you could call it? Um, As houndsmen, our lifestyle is under constant attack. The Houndsman XP podcast was created to give houndsmen a credible voice to maintain their rights and their freedoms to freecast their hounds on well-managed game populations. We need your support. I am asking you to go to our website at houndsmanxp.com. Find the support button. It's right on the front page. Click that. It will take you to our Patreon page. We already have several dedicated houndsmen who have stepped up and said they want to be a part of this lifestyle to preserve, protect, and promote hound hunting. For as little as $1 per show, you are going to receive benefits from Houndsman XP. You're going to receive discount codes on the gear that you need that keeps you in the field, keeps those hounds on the ground, and you following your... With your Patreon support, you're going to be privy to pro tips, tailgate talks, bonus material that is not available to the public. We also offer a blog space there, a message board, where you can come and post pictures of your hunts in an uncensored environment and showcase your hounds and the work you're doing when you're out there hunting. Join us on Patreon. Go to houndsmanxp.com, click the support button, and take a stand with other dedicated houndsmen for your freedoms today. Can you imagine? Can you be imagine being a dog in New York City, where you never see a blade of grass? You never. You, I could, but I don't want to. You, you have know, to, one of the one of the you have to ride in a, I see in in a populated area is you'll see a dog. Let's say, for example, some of my favorites, <laughs> the Beagles. They're a very, I say that because they're a very popular pet. You know, oh, they're a great kids' dog. They're uh-huh. this, they're that, and one of the saddest things that I can see. A, they're obese, and they'll be walking exactly. on a flexi lead, you know, the extendable leads or a six-foot lead, and you can tell all this dog is straining to do is to sit there and smell. Everything their, their body and their brain is telling them to do is to smell, and they're being drug along, you know, <clears> come on there, Shiloh, let's, let's go. Let's take our walk around the block and then go <laughs> sit on the couch for eight hours. And it's like everything right. in that dog's body is just screaming, let me smell this. And they can't do the we most basic have, thing. They're being loved to death. There used to be a, a lady in my hometown here, and she had a beagle that she would walk around town on a flex leash. And that beagle was had that thing stretched out as far as he could get it. And she would she was leaning back, and it always looked like the dog was walking her because mm-hmm. she was a little bit – her dog was obese. She was obese. Um, so it was kind of comical to watch this thing. And I'm thinking all that, it turned that dog loose. Uh, he would love to go run and hunt and do things like that. So, I mean, to be fair, he's probably yeah, so I can, fat, I can, not going to go very I, far. You're going to be able to catch him again. <laughs> well, she sure wouldn't have caught him. I guarantee you that <sighs> there's no way if he'd got, a, she'd have had to have somebody catch him for her, but, um, so let's get back to the Nevada Sporting Dog Alliance and um, talk about th- how many members do you have? So right now we have about 50. Um, I don't have an exact count as we're in the process of doing membership renewals. 
So I'll, I'll have a better. You have how many? About 50. 50 members in a state where a county is bigger than some of the states in the United States. You only have 50 members. Yep. Uh, and some of that, you know, it's kind of hard to get exposure. You know, we're doing it based off social media. Um, and then some of it goes back to a lot of, uh, there's a lot of sub-clicks in sportsman groups. Um, it can sometimes be hard to garner support until something big happens. This is, you know, I'm not dogging anybody. I'm not, oh, you need to be doing this. You need to be doing that. My, my goal well, for the okay. group would be to. I'm, I'm going to let you. I'm going to let you off the hook here a little bit because how many, how many houndsmen do you think are in the state of Nevada? Oh, how many sporting dogs are in the state of Nevada? Quite a few. I mean, thousands. Tucker, oh, absolutely. Thousands. Tucker hunting is absolutely huge here. Uh, upland game, you know, terrier work is not as big, but we do have a lot of, you know, badgers, uh, rock chucks, things like that. There are certainly terrier guys in the state using, you know, side um, there are, yep. There's coursing dogs, you know, waterfowl dogs. Mm -hmm. We, we do have what little waterfowl hunting we do have is really good. I mean, there's, you, you see Jesse's and labs and goldens and poodle pointers and everything. Okay. So this is, this is where I'm going to let you off the hook because, because you want to garner support out there. I'm going to ask the question, why, Houndsmen, are you not supporting an organization like Nevada Sporting Dog Alliance? Because I've tracked the work that you're doing. I know some of the people that are involved in your organization. I know that you're all very passionate about the lifestyle that you're promoting through Hunting Dog. You're spending your time, your resources, um, probably some of your own finances Mm -hmm. to encourage and enable houndsmen to get out there and, and and be able to do what they do. So from Houndsman XP, I'm challenging the houndsmen from Nevada to get involved in the NSDA and support the people that are fighting for your rights. Um, there's just no other way to put it. There, I don't know any houndsmen that want freebies or handouts or anything else. But when houndsmen sit back and let other people carry the ball for them and then reap the benefits, then you might as well just put your hand out because that's what, that's what you're doing when you don't get involved. You're expecting somebody else to secure something so you can enjoy it for nothing. So get involved. So what's a membership cost? So for our annual membership, it's $25. And then it's five hundred for a life. Twenty five bucks. Yeah, it's five hundred for a lifetime, uh, and that's something you can do right on our our website. Our website is NevadaSportingDogAlliance.com. We have a lot of interesting things on there. Really, um, we've done, like I said, the, the we've done interviews with the head predator biologist for the state. We do something called tailgate sessions as far as educational stuff. Where we'll go over things like you know how I. Hey, we do those here. Yeah. I, <laughs> I go over things like how I start my puppies in obedience, at what age, uh, microchipping. That That's something that I wish you would see more of in the hound community is microchipping. It is not something you have to do at your vet. I had a dog go missing. Well, I had a breakout from my house in Colorado where dogs 
got out of a pen and everybody kind of split different directions. And I was gathering up through the neighborhood. Somebody caught one of them, took the collar off, dumped him at the pound further away because that is often an anti-tactic, as we all know. Um, they were not mm-hmm. microchipped at the time. And the dog sat in the pound for three days before. And my dogs are, or our dogs are freeze branded. They have our last name freeze branded across their ribs, which is great if somebody knows what a Dwyer is. That, right. that's more so a, a houndsman Dwyer to what kind of dog is it, that exactly um, you know and that cost me $80 to get the dog out of the pound which okay you know I'm not complaining about that it's certainly warranted for $40 I can go buy a 10 pack of microchips that I can do myself that are free registration <laughs> so I would have already been ahead of the game right there I'd have had the dog back the same day the first thing that they do when a dog comes into a pound or comes in, you know, let's say your dog gets is chasing a bear or something, gets hit on the road, somebody picks him up, takes him to a vet, you know, I found this poor dog, blah, blah, blah. If they don't check the collar for whatever reason, that does happen. The first thing they do is scan the dog for a microchip. Are microchips fail-proof? No. Do they migrate? Do they reject? Yes, they do. But they're pretty darn They've got them pretty good. I mean, if, if you've got a microchip in your dog, there's a 95% chance sure. of reloc- of uh, reuniting. Right. Um, and that's right. something I would love to see to see houndsmen do more. But that's a video that we do and information on where you can get the microchip, how you register it, uh, how you how you do it, how you apply it to the dog. Um, so we have all kinds of different educational videos on that stuff. We have. And and what what else are you doing? You're doing. Uh... You're doing something with bear hunters out there that when a person draws a tag, you do training. You provide training for bear hunters. Is that correct? So we don't. That is actually through the state game agency. It is mandatory for the tag holders or their representatives. So let's say, you know, you draw a bear tag in Nevada. Obviously, you don't have time to come out to the training to just fly out for that because it is before the bear season starts. So the person who's guiding Mm -hmm. you and it's going to be directly with you on the hunt, can take your place in that class. And you do not get your tag issued until you go to that, that bear indoctrination classes is what it's called. And they basically go over okay. regulations and, and kind of the ins and outs of the Nevada bear hunt. And something that we do is we type up a flyer every year to be passed out at that, that indoctrination class. And it goes on everything from kind of a little ethics reminders to recipes on how to utilize your bear meat if you choose to. We also tell mm-hmm. people where they can donate their bear meat to be distributed to the less fortunate if they don't want their bear meat. Some people like it, some people don't. You know, we talk about how, yes, utilizing your bear meat does, in fact, create a better public image. Which, and you don't want to say that because it sounds like you're saying, oh, only do this so it looks good in the public eye. And that's not the case at all, but you you can't hunt and not consider public image. You just can't, or you shouldn't. Right. Exactly. And uh, we were talking off air about a book that I'm reading right now, uh, put out by the NRA called How to Talk About Hunting. And one of the statistics that they uh, put in there was how the general public is very accepting of hunting for food or substance hunting. And they are extremely turned off by what has been misnomered or mischaracterized as trophy hunting. And 
there's an overwhelming support. Above 80% are in favor of hunting for uh, meat, for high-quality protein, uh, to put food on the table, and utilization of that that wild resource out there. And so, absolutely, public perception is very important. And it always... I asked I asked somebody one time, is it time to rewrite the North American model for wildlife conservation? And the first tenet is wildlife is a public trust. And for for since nineteen what year was the Pittman Robertson written? Fifties in the fifties? Nineteen fifty six maybe? Um it, at I'm any rate it's it's close in there. Yeah. You know, hunters have carried the bill, footed the bill, and carried the ball for for wildlife enthusiasts for a number of years. And as our numbers go down, it seems like we have less and less say, but we still have the most invested. What do you what What's your opinion on that? About changing the first tenet of of the North American model. You know, I, I think it's a slippery slope. We have to be so careful to not box ourselves in or out of certain things, certain areas, um, involved in the hunting. And I definitely see where you're coming from. You know, I would really have to, I think it would depend on how it was changed and what it was changed to, Mm -hmm. you know, do I think that the, the model has been, can be cherry picked depending on, on what you're wanting on both sides. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know how you get away from that though. How, How do you, put more restrictions on who is in charge and still make sure that the correct people are how, how do you it's a complex the, it, the the ranks from being infiltrated i guess you could say uh probably not the greatest term to yeah. use but but going through that way and then how do you we can police hunters it's a complex issue true and i mean we can police hunters we can we can stay within our own group as much as a person can, and it's not going to make necessarily the biggest difference. You know, one of the things we really try and do with the NSDA is public education. You know, I I go around and, and speak to some universities, even kind of on behalf of, on myself and behalf of the NSDA as well, speak to wildlife mm-hmm. management classes about hound hunting, it's kind of sh- giving them a, a different view. And I the first thing I say when I walk into a class is I am not here to form an opinion for you. I'm not here to change your mind. I'm not here to tell you, you need to believe this. I am here to present you with the facts. And all I ask is you, you go home and you think about this and you look up the facts and you do the research for yourself and form your own opinion. Um, I just ask that you, you look at both sides of the coin and, and keep that in mind throughout your, well, your career in wildlife management, whether it's a game warden, a biologist, a wildlife rehabber, whatever the case may be. I agree with everything you said. Getting back, getting back to that question I asked you about changing the changing the first tenant. I've 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 put a lot of thought into that. And there are some people out there who are are extreme. They're they're very pro. If you're not a hunter, you have no say, and that's just not reality. It's never going to happen as long as governments are in charge of 
um, managing our wildlife when when bureaucrats have to make those decisions. So, and that's not a bad system. I mean, the North American model is the most successful program in the history of wildlife conservation, hands down. There is no argument about that. And I think hunters just need to take a bigger investment in educating the public. COVID, the, this COVID thing this past year, this pandemic, has seen hunter increases at a rate that we've ne- we haven't witnessed since the golden age of conservation post World War II, um, when the, when the hunter numbers just went through the roof. So we have an opportunity here. We've got people who are looking for information, who want to learn how to hunt, that want to look for that natural protein, and organizations and individual hunters can can either push that aside and say, we don't want you here, or we can mentor those people and and train them and bring them up in a way that is producing responsible hunters who are going to be friends down the road. That's true, and you know, I think... One thing that has happened a lot, too, is people have used the approach of getting in touch with their natural carnivore and this and however you want to. um, Donnie Vincent is a great example of that. The pictures, his pictures speak volumes. They do. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I have no issue with it. The other thing I think that probably needs to be considered as well is if if we're going to be using science to push our point and to prove our point as well as emotion, we sit here and say, okay, even if, you know, Steve the deer hunter doesn't have an emotional tie to whitetail hunting, the science still shows this is okay. This, This is a sustainable rate of mortality no matter what the hunter's reasoning is. This is this is a biologically scientific sound process. No no matter what your mm-hmm. reasoning behind what what makes you tick with hunting, I guess would be a good way to put it. No matter if it's because you want to go out and you want to kill a big deer or you want to go have that emotional experience of harvesting your own free range meat no matter what your reasoning I guess, the the end result is still okay. Yeah. You're right, and it's the um, fact that you know we've used these words, and I I use them too. You know, harvest, take that. We can't get away from the fact we're still killing. When it comes down to it, you're killing, and we can't mm -hmm. soften the blow to the public so much that we lose sight of what it really is, because then it almost seems like you're misleading it away. And, And I think that's where it's important to have your emotion and your science. Um, if that, if the way I'm disingenuous, yeah, you're portraying yourself in a disingenuous matter or manner. And I don't know any hunter <laughs> that when the big bear goes down or the big deer goes down or the big elk or whatever it is, doesn't do a fist pump and they've, they've accomplished a goal, something they set out to do. Mm-hmm. And then when we present it to the public, we've got this very emotionally charged picture of, of a guy sitting there wiping the tears off his face so that he can post that on social media and be accepted. Right. 
Yep, absolutely. And, and it's disingenuous to some to some extent. You know, there's been all kinds of recently. There's been all kinds of conversations about grip and grins and and trying to decide what the ethics are for presenting ourselves as hunters in an accurate in an accurate way. And if we're going to be accurate then you can you can do that in a way that's not disingenuous. You know, hunting is the surveyor surveyors uh or survey of hunters, the overwhelming majority of hunters do it for enjoyment. And I think a lot of times we get wrapped up into trying to talk this science walk. You know, if I didn't enjoy hunting my hounds, if it if it was something that that I didn't truly enjoy, I wouldn't do it. Would you? Oh, exactly, man. It's not like would you have dogs if you didn't get any enjoyment? I wouldn't have as many as I have. I know that much. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not like you're calling yeah. in and saying, "Oh, they've only harvested six bears in unit six forty two, so I better get out there and do my scientific civic duty." I mean, th- exactly. <laughs> there's a mixed emotion, a mixed bag of everything for sure, and I just feel like we can't lose yeah. sight of, of one or the other, and that's that's kind of what we try and do. And educating the public is, yes, there is this reason. There's also this reason and this reason. You know, you can back up your feelings, and your feelings can back up the science, I guess, in a way, too, um, as far yeah, as when I turn Yeah, when I turn a hound loose, I'm not – yeah, when I turn a hound loose, I'm not sitting there and I'm not thinking, I'm going to do my part for wildlife management this evening. You know, I, I'm going because, man, I, I, I like hunting this dog. Yeah. And I like being out here. This is fun. So – we can we can make that we can bridge that gap by by being accurate and depicting ourselves in a way that people understand. I mean, the reason people go to baseball games or or they play baseball is because they're having fun. Not they're not thinking about this is good for my cardiovascular system right now. You know, um, they enjoy it, and there's nothing wrong with enjoying what we do. And we just have to figure out how we're going to how we're going to deliver that message absolutely and and that's that's the key is the delivery um you know for me personally i would love to find a way to get with some of these and they wouldn't have to be you know in the spotlight you know i'm not talking about taking wayne Passell, the head of the or well ex head of the humane society hunting but if we can reach and the thing is you'll you'll never if this has been said a hundred times you will never change the hardcore anti's perspective nope you have to get the people nope. who are in the middle who don't know any better who don't even know you said oh yeah i'm a hound hunter they would say what they don't even know this way of why are you why are exists. you hunting hounds yeah why are you hunting hounds exactly what you know i <laughs> they they put this picture in their mind like we're turning dogs loose and, you know, hounds loose, and then we're going to go out and hunt them down. Exactly. That's exactly what you know? it is, you know, and they, they see something. <laughs> God knows because something's on Facebook. It's true. So they see this, this misnomered, yeah. mis, misrepresented anything on Facebook, and Sally, the soccer mom, goes, oh, my God, that is horrible. They're, they're chasing bears to exhaustion with dogs, and then they walk up and kill them. It, it's, social media has been a double-edged sword to it has to, to been. a lot of things. I mean, I mean, to about anything you can think of, but especially sure. to just the sporting yep. groups. Um, yeah. And, and nobody takes the time to fact check anymore on both sides. I mean, that, that's, 
you know, you can't say one thing about one I'll be careful. and not doing it on the other. Yeah. Unless you work it, for Facebook. Everybody's getting fact-checked. <laughs> <laughs> everybody's getting fact-checked, Becky. Yeah, fact, Everybody. allegedly. <laughs> you know, and that would be kind of my uh, goal, too, is, well, you know, the voting public, if you think about it, is really kind of a, a sleeping giant. They hold the fate in their hands. And that is something I, if I could describe my perfect Nevada Sporting Dog Alliance, um, would be a sleeping giant because we in Nevada is kind of a forgotten state in a lot of ways. When you think of the West, you think of Colorado, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, you know, mm-hmm. Oregon, yep. that. No one really, everybody, oh yeah, Nevada. Oh yeah, Nevada. Um, what, what happens in Vegas stays in it, Vegas. It's just a flying point that people come and spend the weekend and fly home and and it, people don't say I'm going to Nevada. They say I'm going to Vegas. Exactly. It's all and desert the, and hookers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that's kind of what people think. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we've had clients say, you know, you better bring this, this, and this going through your checklist with them. Oh, it doesn't snow there. It doesn't get cold. <laughs> all right. I'll remind you of that. Yeah. How high, how high are you guys there at Wells? What's your elevation? I think we're at like 55, 56, somewhere right in there. And, and that's down it in the valley. Cold. Oh, it gets cold. Yeah, they're in the wind. Yeah. Um, you know, we, yeah. it's kind of funny when you, I actually had something pop up in my memories on Facebook the other day that I had posted a while back. And it said, it always makes me laugh when you tell people you live in Wells or around Wells, you know, Elko County. Because the first thing people either say is, uh, don't blink, you'll drive through it. Or, oh my God, that is some cold, windy, nasty country. And it's like, yes, it is. In fact, we all we're all Eskimos. We travel by dog sled and we survive on seal meat. I mean, it, it is a, a pretty, uh, Cleve's brother who lives in Southern Nevada refers to it as Siberia. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and that's, that's, and, and, and that kind of shows you again, it goes back to the spread out mentality of Nevada and why it can be hard to garner support. Um, you know, so we kind of, we're, we're lucky in the aspect of we can be semi-limited to the bad press we get, to the the petitions, um, you know, you've got states like Colorado, say, or Idaho, where they're so game diverse, they might be getting hit with six different petitions at once. You know, they might have something on wolves, bears, lions, and trapping. Whereas we mm-hmm. kind of we might tend to see it, you know, two at a time or something like that. But people don't think about us, so we're often fighting them on our own. You know, my goal. And, and I think that kind of can sometimes work against us to to, to take a, a step back. I think that can sometimes work against us in a way because we get lulled into a false sense of security. And then when something like this bear petition pops up, it's a big panic. We have to do something now. My goal would be to be on the offensive, not the defensive. I would rather have the membership right. and have the sleeping giant and say, hey, guys, we really appreciate your support. Nothing's going on right now. But knowing that when we need it, We've got it right there instant versus, you know, okay, we've got a month to try and garner support. We've got and, – and, and not that we don't do things to try and rally support in the meantime. You know, we have been for sure. It's just hard to get it out there unless something is in your face happening right now. So, you know, my right. My goal – I've got a real good friend of mine. Yeah. my I've got a real good friend of mine that's, that's worked on this for decades with the – uh, Indiana Sportsman's Roundtable and different groups here, and he 
he summed it up real well. When there is no cause to fight for, the hook, hook and bullet crowd gets very comfortable. We all want to just go out and do our thing. We, you know, when there isn't something to worry about, then don't bother me. You know, I want to be in the field. I don't want to be thinking about the things that are threatening my lifestyle. Absolutely. Um, I mean, that's why we, that, that's why we go there. You know, we guys buy property and they manage for deer herds or they, they go hound, you know, they go coon hunting or lion hunting to escape that. But, and that's all good. But at the same time, you're not doing that. I don't know anybody really that is, nobody is hunting 24 hours a day. So we can't lose sight of the fact that we have to be aware of what's going on in the world around us. And, and you brought up something that we wanted to talk about. And that's the main, um, not the main thing, but one of the things that you need help with out there right now is the petition that was filed to stop the use of hounds to hunt black bears in Nevada. So what can you tell us about that? So there is a petition right now that is in front of our Wildlife Commission Board to stop, like you said, stop the use of hounds in the bear hunt. Nevada has a... We have a an interesting bear population in the aspect of we've had such good recovery with them, and we have a very high-quality bear population. It is not spread across the state, but it is ever-expanding. Like, we'll probably have a, mm-hmm. a bear or two every year, two years, pass through the area that I live. They could absolutely live there, but they have to cross. From, from where the population has spilled over from the Sierras and then manicured in the western side of the state they'd have to cross some country that would be a little tougher for them to make it in in order to get there mm-hmm. um you know western nevada has some amazing bear hunting there are a ton of bears just right in you know lake tahoe and incline village which is kind of like nevada's you know aspen colorado or mccall idaho you know it is the tourist area to go besides vegas you know it's beautiful there's there's a lot of water there's a lot of timber it, it's just a beautiful area so a lot of people go there it's mm-hmm. a lot of um second homes there skiing you get out of the more of the rural ranch ranch and resource run areas of nevada when you when you get into that area um and there are a lot of bears there and there yeah you brought it a- yeah you brought up sierras and the sierra nevada and also lake tahoe and for anybody that doesn't know, I mean, just, just look at Lake Tahoe and it's a, the state line runs right through the middle of Lake Tahoe. And so you've got a mixed crowd there. You've got, I would say probably two thirds of that lake is, is in maybe three quarters of it are in California. So you've got a shared population around that lake where on one side you've got California and on the other side, you've got Nevada. How much? How much of this issue is being centered, or or originating from the the Lake Tahoe region about with this petition? And under, understand, maybe maybe we ought to back up just a little bit. You know the way the way that wildlife rules are formulated and and finalized is through wildlife resource commissions across the United States. And so groups, anyone can file a petition with 
a resource commission uh, committee and push for whatever change they want. And that goes back to that first tenet of, of wildlife as a public trust. And in this case, we've got a group from the Tahoe area that has filed a petition to stop the bear hunt. Is that accurate? It is. Um, we have a lot of opposition from that area. They live with the bears. They see them every day. They're walking through the neighborhoods. They're taking pictures. They're seeing the cubs grow up. Um, they, you know, one, one of the worst things that can happen to a wildlife species is when individuals start getting named. You know, oh, that's that's George the bear or Cecil the lion, right. or it gives that animal, it yes. starts the anthropomorphization of them and it gives that animal a individual identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, that's what has happened. And we have an extreme, you know, going back to being right there on the California border, you know, California has an estimated 35 to 40,000 bears. There is an imaginary right. state line. You know, the bears are not walking and being like, oh, we're in Nevada. Better turn around. You know, we constantly. I'm going to Vegas. Exa- yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, we, you know, what happens there stays there. We constantly get yeah. the spillover coming over the Sierras and through the Sierras. You know, like I said, they don't, they don't stay within the state lines. So you look at California, yep. their harvest limit or their kill limit is 1,700 bears. Our population and these, what we consider a population is 18 months, individuals 18 months and older, is six to 700. Our kill limit is 20 bears. Now, if mm-hmm. you look at the, the average over the years, they're actually killing about 14 bears per year. So while your average mm-hmm. bear population can sustain about a 10%, give or take, harvest mortality from hunters alone, before you start to see population effects from that, our popu- our our harvest statistics are two to three percent, and that's based on the twenty per- the twenty bear kill number. So if you go mm-hmm. to fourteen, we're actually closer to like a one point eight to two point five. So it's an extremely yep. light light harvest. It's it comes out to about fifty four percent if I'm not if I'm not uh, mistaken. Around fifty-four percent of your your quota is being filled, and then you look back at California and you're getting those influx of bears. You know, there's a seventeen hundred, and they haven't filled their quota in years. You know, I think last year they're out of fourteen. What do you say, seven seventeen hundred bears? Yes. For a California quota, I think there were nine hundred and some bears that were actually taken last year. So you've still got that quota that's not being filled in California. You're getting the influx of those overflows into Nevada. Your quota is not being filled. So then it comes down to a management issue. And those numbers weren't just pulled out of thin air and say, ah, I think we'll pull, kill 20 bears this year. Right. That's not what anybody did. We looked, they, this, the biologists look at the population and decide what we need to take out to maintain a healthy, viable black bear population that is manageable for human conflict and also hunter satisfaction. And, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into that. So the fact that you, Nevada, nor California are killing, killing the quota limit for the bears 
I'm not sure what the problem is. And and I feel like we should mention too, they're not the quotas are not not being filled because there aren't ample opportunity. It's not like you're mm-hmm. not seeing bears, you're not getting the opportunity to harvest. There's there's not enough bears out there. That is not the case at all. Um, right. And you know, you look at the statistics. Seventy-one percent of the and this is in the state of Nevada, obviously. 71% of the successful hunters use dogs. And in that case, 1.5 bears, if you know, you put the mean together, were passed on by dog hunters. So that is showing mm-hmm. a selectivity by hunters using dogs. And I'm going to say something that I'm not against spot and stock hunting. I'm not against, you know, someone's out deer hunting, they see a bear. Oh, cool. You know, I'm going to go. I'm going to go film a bear tag. Um, mm-hmm. There is a certain advantage that hunting with dogs gives you by being able to get up close. It can be hard at 600 yards to see if it's a boar or a sow. Or to really we have be talked able about to that on that this animal. podcast. Yep. There is no. There is no more effective way to manage a wildlife population, especially like bears or mountain lions. And I've even done it with raccoons um, where you can make an educated decision on whether or not to take that animal. That's the only form you, of catch and release hunting. That's right. That's right. And you think raccoons, how do you do that with raccoons? Well, that's a whole different thing, but you know, you can't, you, you actually can figure it out. And, um, like in the month of March, mm-hmm. the sows, the sow raccoon are heavy with kittens. So they're normally not way out on the end of branches. They're, they're closer. And we've done, Indiana has done some studies on that. Uh, so they're, they're hugging that they don't climb as high cause they're heavy with, with kits. And, um, there is a way, believe me. Um, but bear and lions, you're right there. That bear line's not going anywhere. Sometimes you're 15 feet in the tree. Sometimes you're 200 feet in the tree. But with a set of binoculars, you can you can make pretty good educated decisions on whether or not to take that animal. Yeah, for sure. And that's something that so, I feel like is an important thing to get into the public eye. Because that's, you know, mm-hmm. no one who sees hound hunting that is not familiar with that, you know, who hasn't done it is going to think of that aspect. Right. Exactly. So that's, a, that's, I think there's some, some opportunity here for us to improve our, improve our message for houndsmen. And that's one thing that we, we are always trying to do on this podcast is help people develop an effective narrative to be able to talk about why they do what they do. And um, groups like the Nevada Sporting Dog Alliance and, and the work you're doing out there helps us do that. So tell us real briefly where the um, the petition is at right now. What's the status of that petition and the uh, pro- what stage of the process is it in with the Nevada Wildlife Commission? So it's still in front of the commission currently. They It was on the agenda to be looked at and discussed at the last commission meeting. Um, There was a clerical error that put a stop to that. So it is going to be revisited as a workshop in March 
at their March meeting. Um, we have all that information posted on the NSDA Facebook page. We also have a sample of letters that we have written that people can mm-hmm. can either send copies of or pull facts and information from that to create their own letter. I think a lot of times because people don't see a direct return from sending emails, they think that it doesn't really help and it doesn't matter. It is a huge help. I mean, they're in these wildlife commission meetings, there is a section under each agenda item for public comment. And that is one of the most important things we can do as hunters is to have that public comment. You know, these, these wildlife commission boards are made up of members of different interests. They have hunting interests, conservation interests, ranching, you know, here it's ranching interests or farming interests and, Mm -hmm. and a member of the general public. So they want it to be really a a well-rounded group making these decisions as it should be. So it's important for us, to be sending these emails. Yeah, you're not going to get an email back saying, oh, great, we really appreciate it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But the emails aren't going unnoticed. And if I look at it, you know, is it a pain in the neck to write emails at times? Absolutely. But then I sit on Facebook and scroll for 20 minutes. So it's like, well, if I've got 20 minutes to do that, I've got five minutes to write an email, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's kind of prioritizing. Prioritizing for me, you know, yeah, it might not be fun, but it needs done. You know, that's, that's kind of, life and being an adult. Um, So we have their emails listed on there, how you can get in contact with the commissioners. I will say, if you do go look at that list, the last email on the email list has a space or a couple of spaces throughout the email that will need to be removed and that we need to set in the original email format. For whatever reason, Facebook does not like that email. And no matter which way I've tried to format it, it blocks the post saying it goes against their community standards. So, so, so could a Nevada houndsman contact you for a direct link to that or a direct email to that? Oh, any if, anybody can through me- messenger. Yep, anybody okay. can do that. Um, you can do that. You know, we ask that. You know, even if you're like, okay, I don't hunt Nevada, so I I am going to put twenty five a twenty five dollar membership into a a state that I hunt in you know, a, a group in a state that I hunt in, cool, I, I hope you do that. But you can still, you know, you can like posts, you can share posts. Just getting that publicity going out there will help also. You know, a lot of people, you know, times are hard. The virus has taken jobs from people. It's taken extra money. There's still things we can do that don't cost anything. You know, educating the public, taking an anti-hunter or a, a non-hunter out hunting, getting a kid involved anything like that. We actually had a really cool experience um, this year where we caught a lion, like I think he was like 20 yards onto a private ranch property. And the ranch, Mm -hmm. the ranch owner had actually heard our dogs because it was right in front of their headquarters um, out there. And he came out and he's like, Hey, what's going on? Not in a bad way. He was just curious. You know, he hadn't really been around it. He's like, Oh, I, I heard dogs. And I thought they sounded like hounds. And he saw our truck drive by and I said, yeah, we've, we've got a really big Tom that we're after right now and and i think we'll probably catch him here pretty quick and he's got five kids under the age of 10 and i said hey you know if you want if the kids are interested and they want to see a lion in a tree you know i'll let you know if we get them caught in an area they can easily hike to you know being young like that i mean it's kind of hard to drag them up the side yeah. of the mountain mm-hmm. <laughs> um and if if we get it we'll run down and grab you guys and the kids so it was super cool we had the hunter with us 
caught the lion and it was right on their property line and went back, ran back to the house, grabbed the mom, the husband and, and all five kids. And they got to go in there and see the lion. And after, after the lion had been, had been shot, they went down there and they're over there petting him and looking at the teeth and the claws. And it's always great when they go to reach for the teeth and you go, ah, I moved ahead a little bit and they, ah, they jump back and laugh and giggle. And, <laughs> you know, if you think about it, these kids that are, being born now, clear up to college age, these are the next generation of public voters. They are the next wildlife managers. They are the next sportsmen. It's important to, while, while we're trying to preserve what we have now and reach the voters that are out there now, we need to be thinking about the next ones coming up too and how we're influencing them. No doubt about that. None of those kids, not one of those kids may ever become a houndsman. Uh, but if we, if we make a positive impression, if we make an investment, then they aren't going to vote against us. You know what I mean? Exactly. That's something if that we you can, look back at and say, yeah, when I was seven years old, you know, that, that's something those kids probably drove their parents nuts talking about it for the next two weeks. They're probably sick in the ranch border collies on the barn cast. Left and right now, yeah. them up yeah. apple trees. Well, and... I, it, you know, Becky, I just I think about this all uh, a lot. Um, producing this podcast and stuff, I think about how we can get that image out there and how we can how we can send a positive message. You know, these kids. One of these days, they're going to be in a group of other people their age, and. Um, or they're going to see something on social media that is against houndsmen. And it's going to talk about being um, cold, bloodthirsty killers, that their dogs are vicious. And and by you taking the time and making that effort to say, hey, we'll come back and get you and take your family in there, now you've got five kids that are going to be like, that's not accurate. That's not the impression that I got from Becky and Cleve Dwyer. You know their dogs weren't vicious, and and they were pretty nice people, and and so we're going to discredit and disarm the the opponents to hunt, hunting with hounds right off the bat every time we do something positive like that. Absolutely, every time. You know, it's funny; it can sometimes come in ways that you don't think of either. For example, this happened probably six weeks ago. Um, our niece lives in North Idaho. She's going to school up there, and she's working. Uh, a part-time job while she's going through school, you know, and she is, she's spent some time living with us. And while she has, she's never been in a hound. I mean, she's, she's gone hunting with us, but you know, she's, she's not into the hounds in any other aspect other than us. She'd like to get her own dogs when she's out of school and she'd be great at it. And she was mm-hmm. at work and she shares all of our, our Bull Creek stuff and whatnot. And she, she's really into it, you know, and she was at work and she was talking to a gal and they were talking about, I don't remember, somehow the, the topic turned to lion hunting or bear hunting. And this gal is not a hunter that she works with. And she said, oh, I don't agree with that. And our niece goes, well, why not? And she said, oh, my, my boyfriend's uncle or whatever has dogs. And he, um, I'm trying to think of, they're treated differently. More, more so mm-hmm. as a tool. Um, he didn't want people petting them because they wouldn't want to hunt. 
things like that, you know, and I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on the guy. There's different beliefs. You know, you can believe what you believe and I believe what I believe and, and we can all get along. And so she's like, well, I don't agree with that because they're just used as, as tools and houndsmen don't care about their dogs. They're not pets. They're, they're not family members, whatever the case may be, the word that she used. I wasn't there, but I got the general gist of it. And our, and right. our niece said, okay, so let me show you this. And she started throat scrolling through some of the social media stuff and showing this gal, she's like, you know, look at this. These puppies are, are getting worked with. We went out and took them swimming, doing all, all kinds of different stuff. And by the end of the conversation, that gal had such a different perspective. And she actually thanked her and said, you know, thank you so much for showing me this because this was the only exposure that I had had to hounds previous to talking with you. And it just happened mm-hmm. to come up the way they were talking. Like it wasn't even the, I think I had sent my niece a picture or a Snapchat of one of the dogs doing something funny or whatever, and she was laughing and showed showed the coworker, and that was how they got on the topic. But it can affect people that you would never think that it would just doing one thing. And I think that's the yep. important thing to remember. And and all of this is even people we're you not, don't know yeah are we're not going to be able to by you. We are not going to save this. We're not going to secure our future by ourselves. There aren't enough of us to do that. But by positive education and exposures, then we get secondary exposure through people that we've influenced in a positive way. You know, now they can sit there and it's like, eh, that's not what I've seen out of Houndsman. You know, mm-hmm. I, Becky Dwyer takes her two-day-old puppies and run, rubs her paws with Q-tips, you know. <laughs> And that was a good video, by the way. That was a good, good little post you made on social media. But I mean, I always try to, if I'm out in the mountains and the mountains were full of people, I spent all summer out there this year, the mountains were full of people that were out doing something. They couldn't go to restaurants. So they were in the, in the mountains and some people were upset about that, but we just took the opportunity when we saw a family to stop the truck And because most of the roads were narrow, so we'd stop the truck and we'd engage in conversation and they would say, what are you doing? Our dogs would all have their heads sticking out of the side of the dog box, looking out at them. And before you know it, the whole family's out of the car and they're petting dogs Mm -hmm. and they're having a conversation with, with people that aren't mean, who aren't out there bloodthirsty killers. It just... So you you just have to wonder what kind of impression did you make and what's their next their next uh, emotional response going to be when they see some of this stuff come out. So Absolutely, and you have to think you're, you're spot on. You have to think too. You're not always going to win. I mean, we had a we had nope. an instance where we caught a lion on some, right on the edge of private property again. I believe it was just over the property line. Um, we your dogs trespass a lot. They do. <laughs> It happens at times. Thankfully, it wasn't because the nice thing about here is it has to be fenced or posted. Um, So we talked to the landowner and they said, you know, yeah, that's fine. Would you like to go along? Um, They ended up deciding they did not like lion hunting and completely flipped their and and not not that there was anything that happened. They Mm -hmm had a little bit of a non-realistic belief about the lion, that individual lion. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were not fans. 
But something to think about is, okay, so if 100% of your, your average voter is uneducated, if you have a 50-50 on turning them forward or against it, <laughs> you're still ahead making 50% of them for it. Yes. Good point. I mean, you're, you're never going to have anybody right on your side all the time. And if you do, it's right. probably because you've lost yourself in an echo chamber, and that, that's a whole other topic for a whole other day. Um, <laughs> but you, you can't affect the way people think, but you can sure try to influence it. Right. Well, you can't control, right. I should say. You, you can affect it. You can't control how people think, but you can sure try to influence it. You know, I think you and I could probably go on for a few days um, talking about these sort of topics. Um, I'm pretty – I've spent a lot of my time thinking about how we can improve and and preserve, protect, and promote the houndsman lifestyle. I know that you have. Um, but give real quick, Becky, tell us how – give us the rundown again on um, how houndsmen can step up and – support the Nevada houndsman on putting down this, this petition that is emotionally charged. And do we want to mention that the group that, that, I mean, it's public record, the no bear hunt MV is the, the group that filed the petition. And if you visit their site on, on Facebook, you can see this type of, battle that you're you're fighting there and, and what you're up against. Absolutely. It kind of shows you a snapshot of the thinking of the other side. I just ask that people do not Don't respond. Yeah, don't you don't need to go in there and respond. Just just go in there and look. And, and you know, you guys no, are no, no, no. and this, that and the other. Instead I ask that nope. people would take that energy and put that towards support on our side. Um it is a very emotion based petition. They're they're pretty much running on emotion. And as we know that that is what drives a lot of people. Um, you know, if you can go in and even if it's just a, a paragraph email, you know, Hey, I support the Nevada bear hunt because of these reasons, you know, and, and something to think about too is our game department is a little different than most funding wise, because we are pretty much everything in the state besides fishing, game birds, coyotes, um, small game, you know, small game like jackrabbits and whatnot and mountain lions everything else is a draw you might wait 10 or 15 mm -hmm. years to draw a bull elk tag now granted when you do you got a really good chance at killing a 400 inch or better bull but it's it's very heavily managed and i think that's good but that cuts our game department funding more so than most you know if, if you have over-the-counter tags at 600 bucks a pop they've got a lot bigger budget to work with so another thing that you can mention is, you know, the economic loss that would come as well. You know, if you want to cover all mm -hmm. the ratios from the emotion, we love running our dogs, the bear hunt is sustainable, everything, you know, you're taking out people staying in motels, eating in cafes, buying gas at rural gas stations and buying a pop and a hot dog, um, the price of the right. bear tag itself, all of that. You know, people say, oh, well, mm -hmm. it's only 20 tags. Well, it still adds up. I wouldn't want to foot the bill for right. that, you know. So there's there's a whole Fiscal different impact. aspect. Absolutely. There's a whole different aspect of things and, and different scenarios that you can put into that. It doesn't have to be a generic, 
you know, I support the bear hunt, follow science and signed, you know, right. you, you can really put your own, your own words into it, you know, or you can just do the generic, I support the bear hunt and science. Um, kind right. of, it kind of gives you a lot of Follow different options, science. all the, all the different options that you can mm-hmm. do. Um, but yeah, emails are huge. And people, people can send that where, where, do, where do they go to get that, to make that? So you can go on to our Facebook at Nevada Sporting Dog Alliance. You can go onto our website to get, to get the facts and get statistics and whatnot and get the, a copy of the letter that we as a group, as an organization sent in to the wildlife commissioners. And then as far as getting their email, you can find their emails on the Nevada Department of Wildlife website. You can find them on our Facebook. You can email us or message us on the Facebook app, um, and we'll get that all for you. We, we kind of have it plastered all over. They also have a mm-hmm. YouTube channel that they live stream all of the Nevada Wildlife Commission meetings and then save it to a playlist. So you can go back and watch and see what happens. You can watch the meetings in real time, which is really nice especially for an area as spread out population-wise as ours. You know, I may have something going on the next day and not be able to drive six hours to the commission meeting, but I can sit there and watch it in real time. And when they're doing it virtually now, they do take five-minute breaks or eight-minute, however however long they think they'll need, breaks after the agenda item to allow people to email in right after. So people can email in before the meeting in March. I have to look and see the date, and I will post that for sure. We'll be posting quite a bit. Um, we're going to be having a meeting of the NSDA officers here shortly, and we'll be posting what we're going to be doing to combat it from here on out. Um, so I'll have more information on that. But definitely watch the NSDA page. And I post the links to those live feeds of the commission meetings as well. So if you can email beforehand, you can email during the meeting. I personally email more beforehand just because like we were talking off there, neither one, you know, you're not very technological advanced and neither am I. Uh, sometimes I'm lucky to get my iPhone to work. So I like to email beforehand so that I know if my Wi-Fi goes out or if something happens on the way, I don't miss that opportunity. You know, I definitely have something in there. And then I'll, I'll also comment on the public comment section as well. So there, there's really a lot of ways that that people can stay involved. In I'm a techno guru, by the way. I am a techno guru. So far with the podcast, I think you've got Don't. me beat. <laughs> no, <laughs> not even close. So you can go to nw uh, org, and it will take you into the uh, the website for the Nevada Department of Wildlife Commissioners, and and you can you can actually watch the commission meetings there. The reason the reason I think this is a a front burner. A front burner issue for houndsmen all over is because if this effort is successful in Nevada, then it will be tried in your state. So take five minutes, go to the Nevada Sporting Dog Alliance Facebook page or website, look at the letter, even if you just have to copy and paste or forward that in an email and say, I support the the Nevada Sporting Dog Alliance on this and and just send your letter as an attachment or a paste that's that's awesome you know right now we've got we can't afford to give up any more ground or lose have any houndsman in any state lose the opportunity to to, to hunt 
with their hounds as a as a hound hunting uh, community. So that's exactly why I wanted to have you on, Becky, and um, I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity to to kind of get out on your platform and and get some more publicity for us. Um, you know, I, I appreciate everybody hey. sending in emails and in states they do and don't hunt because just like you said, it's it's going to come to you eventually. Yep. You know, they may not be knocking yep. on your we door, should be but following. knocking on your neighborhood. That's right. I mean, it, it doesn't cost a dime to follow the NSDA on Facebook or um, wherever. Are you guys on Instagram too or just on Facebook? Just on Facebook and then our website. Okay, so it doesn't cost a dime to follow that. It's going to pop up in your feed, and then you can forward that out to your your followers and get that word out there. And that's that's uh, that's an easy way, easy way to get involved. It is, and we really appreciate it. I mean, like you had said earlier in the in the podcast, you know, on the the twenty five dollar and five hundred dollar memberships, um, we do do a lot of the financial costs out of our own pocket. And I'm not saying that, and Oh, I'm patting us on the back or anything like that. Um, a lot of people think, Oh, well, does $25 make a difference? Uh, $25 does make a difference when you're printing out 45 double-sided and full colored flyers for, um, you know, the, the bear hunt meeting when you're talking about indoctrination. Yes. Thank yep. you. I had a, had a blank for a minute there. When you're printing That's out right. stuff like that, or if you're sitting at a Cabela's days and you're printing out business cards, um, it, it really does make a difference. And trying to get that money saved up that when the time comes, like now where we're in the fight, we've got a little money to work with to try and get the education out there. You know, something I would also love to see, and we had talked about this off air a little bit, is how, how do we get these high school kids and middle school kids involved in, in any form of wildlife management, whether it's hunting, um, anything. You know, we have these programs like Trout in the Classroom for the the elementary kids where, you know, they're they're raising the eggs and doing all that, and they, they turn those fish out. How do we do that mm-hmm. with hounds? Is it where you go into a veterinary science class and you bring in a, a child-friendly dog and you set out, you know, GPS collars or telemetry collars like a little treasure hunt. Mm-hmm. How how do we involve the next generation besides, and I say just taking them hunting. I don't mean that in a in a down put of just, but you know, not every not every kid has the opportunity to go hunting. How do we get them involved on a whole? One thing one thing that I think would be extremely helpful. <clears throat> and I'm I'm gleaning this from my former career in law enforcement. One of the things that we were required to do was to teach hunters education. And every fish and wildlife agency has to teach hunters education in all 50 states now. It's required if they want to get Pittman and Robertson money. It's a they get paid for the number of participants. Uh state agencies do reimbursed through the federal government for the number of students that they certify in hunter's education. The place that that program is lacking is there is nowhere in the curriculum because it's pretty much a set curriculum across the United States. Now it's, it's, um, 
Uh, I am not going to remember the name of the publishing company that produces those materials. But if you look in the Hunter's Education Manual, there is no mention of hounds and hound hunting. If we could get the hunting community organized and the hound hunting community organized for a special segment, that would be a start uh, where every because every person like um before they purchase a hunting license across the united states now is required to have a hunter's education Mm -hmm. class so that could be a start to an introduction that people actually do this you know they actually use trained hounds and the investment that houndsmen make it could be written in a way and um they would be it needs to be a topic that's covered there first and then we can build off of that absolutely yep i think you're absolutely right yep it's uh international hunter education association is what it's is um is the organization that develops most of those written materials it just came to me so i think that would be a good start if we could get if we could get the uh the the hound hunting community together to make that push for that to be included in basic hunters education that'd be a good place to start i think that's a really good idea and you and i might ought to talk off air a little more about that (laughs) yeah we can we sure can i I can hook you up with some people and agencies across the united states that are pretty key and and um we can we can start working on that i think that would be good and that might also um work over into maybe dispelling some some myths too about you know does does hunting with hounds or having hounds in the area does that affect deer hunting does that you know you could kind of really oh my gosh. branch off and i just started a whole other podcast episode didn't i oh my <laughs> gosh that's just oh no how did you do that <laughs> uh, you know i i think it could really could really branch off into some good things and and i just want to say you know i appreciate yeah. the guys and gals and everybody who's who's out there trying to make stuff happen and, and really trying to make a good positive influence. And it's, uh, it can be a pretty lonely road at times, but you just got to know you're, you're fighting the good fight. Becky, and you're fighting the good fight and the houndsmen of Nevada are lucky to have you and, and your compadres out there that are, are putting your time in to fight that fight. And, um, Again, guys, gals, we're talking about 25 bucks to support an organization that is representing something that you are so passionate about and um, get involved. You've got to get involved and understand what these organizations are doing for you and what impact they're having so that you are able to go out and enjoy your hounds. Um Becky, thanks for thanks for coming on the podcast, giving us your time today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, thanks for allowing me to come on. I I appreciate it just as much, and I uh, I appreciate everybody who's who's got our back in this this petition as well, and has taken time out of their busy days to to help support some people they don't know, and and you know apply for a Nevada bear tag, and you gotta you'd have a pretty darn good hunt. Yep. It'd be a good time. So if you don't have any other final thoughts, anything you want to throw in before we sign this off? 
Well, I think we've pretty well solved the the world's problems. Yes, we have. That's our goal every week. Chris Powell uh, for to solve. <laughs> no. Yeah, that'd be a disaster. <laughs> um, so, Becky, make sure you tell Cleve I said hi. I will. Give sure. him a break when he's walking around the front of the truck. Well, look, maybe the next one I'll, and, uh, I'll dedicate to you. You've got a video. I will, for <laughs> sure. All right, Becky. Well, thanks again. Thanks for, for taking time out of your schedule. And uh, we're going to follow up probably first part of March to uh, to remind people, even if it's just for a few minutes, uh, have you back on, have you, and maybe get Jonathan Lesprince on here as well. Absolutely. And talk about where we're at and talk about this overwhelming support that you've gotten because we've aired this podcast for you. And until then, Becky, you follow your hounds and I'll follow mine. Sounds good. Thank you.